Hey friends, you're listening to the Hope and Heart Builds podcast where we're talking all things resilience and revolution. I'm your host, Andre Henry. And I'm your other host, Trisha. Oh my gosh, that's so much smoother when we're in person. I, I know, it's very difficult on the... This is why you wanted to do this in person. I did want to do it in person. Okay, we'll get back to this. <laughs> anyway, this is a very special episode <laughs> for so many reasons. First off, this is we are in my apartment in Hollywood. An honor <laughs> to be here. <laughs> This is Trisha's first time in my apartment. It is. So we're now we're real friends. Yes. Well, I'm your real friend. Yes. I think is how that goes. Right. Because you haven't been in mine. Exactly. So. But you're invited. There was actually a study that says 70% of the friend, people that you consider friends don't consider you their friend. Anyway, we are Guys, on a total tangent. We'll come back to that maybe. Uh, this is also a very special podcast because we have a very special guest. Not only returning to the show. She was one of our first guests on the Hope and Heartbills podcast. Um, but she's also in my apartment. We are joined by author, speaker, writer, social entrepreneur, and world traveler, and all kinds of other amazing so many. epithets. So many things. Uh, Rachel Cargill is here. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me in your apartment. For upgrading our friendship. Thank you for being here. I was going to like have you sign a wall or something. <laughs> just like just, have her sign that wall. Just so and just people would know. That, like, Rachel this, was here. This really happened. You know? Oh yeah. I was like, I, I need to make sure I get my photos with Rachel. That's true. And I don't even care if they charge me on the, if they don't give me back my security deposit for this. <laughs> no, I will not let that happen to you. <laughs> I refuse to let the landlords take your deposit. Um. But uh, before we do, before we do this, I have to, I have not been good about this at all. So first, our show is brought to you by our generous patrons at Patreon. We literally could not do the show without you all. So thanks so much for your contributions. And if you want to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash DeAndre Henry and become a patron. And, you know, you'll be a part of making this thing happen. Isn't that great? So Rachel, how are things? <laughs> I'm all right. Good. Um. You just released a book recently, A Renaissance of Our Own. Yeah. Could you tell us about the book? Um, what is it about? What, is, what was your inspiration? All that. I first want to say I'm so happy to be in LA. Yeah. I'm so happy to be on this podcast again. I'm so happy to be at your house. Yeah. I'm just like excited overall. I just wanted to say that. You know what's so interesting is that like you have the energy of the person I was reading about earlier today. <laughs> you are exactly what you're I really exuding the joy that it seems like you you really talk about a lot. Anymore. I'm happy to be practicing what I preach then. Thank you. I think that's the highest compliment when people tell me that I am who they thought I was based on what I write. Do you hear that a lot? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I'm grateful for people reflecting that to me. That is amazing. Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, I'm positive there's sometimes I'm not where people are like, wow, Rachel's the worst. But thank you to everyone who has caught me in. <laughs> well, I think like your your resume is very intimidating. And I love how you're just so warm and like welcoming. And I think that's a really important thing in this type of work. And we'll talk more about your um, your perspective on how to approach it. But um, it's true. You're a big deal. I ordered a red carpet on Amazon, but didn't get here in time. I know. I can't believe it. 
I and we got it. We, we, <laughs> we did the expedited and everything. <laughs> just, just a runner. Um, but I think all of this work can be really like intimidating. And I love that it seems to me that a lot of um, what you put out into the world is like very warm and welcome. Yeah, well, that's you. very true. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, back to your original question. Sure. You're asking about the book. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so the subtitle of the book is A Memoir and Manifesto on Reimagining. And that's true for the book. I share a lot of uh, the ways that I reimagined how life would look and feel for a Black girl, for a Black girl growing <laughs> up poor, for a girl from the Midwest. Um, a girl born into the family I was born into. Um, I talked through many of the circumstances in my life that just made me pause and say, I think there's another way that either I'd like to do this or that is cap that is possible in the world. Yeah. And not necessarily that I was the first one to do it, but I was willing to try something different than what was presented to me as um the only option, which mm -hmm. that looks like, you know, societal norms about how we play <clears throat> into our um, careers, mm -hmm. into our education, to our sexuality, into um, our day-to-day -day living, yeah. into our decisions to be parents or not, to really look at all of these, um, I kind of call them steps on the on life's escalator, yes. um, ways that we're kind of put onto this track with this destination that we can't really see, but we've heard it's supposed to be where we're headed. Mm -hmm. And the higher you get up on it, the harder it is to get off. And mm. yes, I, I think that my book is really looking at many of the steps of that life escalator that we're put on yeah. um, and figuring tactics on how to leap off and into what I often <laughs> envision as like this stained glass staircase that looks and feels how mm. you want it to feel that, um, you know, I say on my staircase, when I got off of the life escalator, mine, you know, I rest on a step for a while when normally society tells us we have mm. to keep going. I step backwards and I recognize that I have some more mm. things to learn. Um, I have belief in my ability to move safely as I ascend. Mm. And so um, the book really was an opportunity for me to just start a conversation with my readers about some of the questions we can ask ourselves in order to be more, um, just more self-aware and more critical about our relationship with ourselves and the rest of the world. Um, I'm curious about how your work, how you see your work having evolved since the last time you've been on the oh show. Gosh. Because I think that when we talk, <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't think that, I don't think you'd started The Great Unlearn. I'm not sure if you'd founded the Loveland Foundation yet. You saying that just like, took me back into the physical place I was during our phone call. I remember the room I was in. Really? I remember the building I was in in Manhattan. Yes. I remember so much. And it that was a reminder of just how different I am, yeah. the world mm -hmm. is, yeah. um, and my work in particular. Mm -hmm. And I think that the way that my work has shape-shifted, I don't even want to say evolved as if what mm -hmm. I'm doing now is better than what I was doing before yeah. or how I'm doing things now is better, but it has shape-shifted to fit um, what I understand about myself, what I understand about the world, what I understand about how I want to be in community. Mm -hmm. And so I think that when we last spoke on this podcast, it was very centered in uh, 
the online education I was doing in my personal study Mm -hmm. and the way that I was doing that. And, you know, I cannot speak to the shape shifting of my work without speaking to the way that I have changed. um, Because that is what manifested that. And really, you know, as I was doing more critical self-work, one of the things that I recognized about what I needed to heal through in this lifetime Mm. was anger. Okay. And that was a personal spiritual conversation I was having with myself. Wow. That I was having with my ancestors, that Mm -hmm. I was having with my body. Mm -hmm. And I very quickly recognized that those years in my life when I was doing my work with such fire and such mm-hmm. passion and such, um, I even want to, something in me wants to say quickness mm-hmm. and with such um, energy, yeah. that particular type of energy, that was also a journey I was on in my own spirituality with anger. I feel mm-hmm. like my ancestors literally opened up a career opportunity for me to not only serve my community, but also work through a lot of the anger I had within Mm. myself from my own childhood, from my own racial uh, trauma growing up, from my own, you know, family trauma. And I think that I have done some of that work within me to allow me to move out of that space. Mm. And I think I'm so proud of the way that I was able to channel um, a lot of that heat, a lot of that, deep expectation in a way that um, people are continuing to do now. People will hopefully forever do. Mm -hmm. And that really served me and served my work at that time. But now that I have kind of worked through a bit of the hard edges of that anger and how it was coming out um, in my work and in my personal life, I've, um, I've just softened (laughs) a bit and that softening has showed up in my work in the way in ways that sh- show up in um, demeanor, in mm-hmm. ways that show up in, uh, you know, cadence, yeah, that show up in texture of my work, and so, yeah, I think that uh, my work looks like me. It looks like me then, and it looks like me now. I can. I've noticed that online for sure. Like one thing that I marvel at in the way that you show up online is that you have this really beautiful way of tying together your personhood you know it's it's at the center of what you're doing your your vulnerability is front and center um in a way that i i don't feel like a lot of us are able to do you know or haven't built those skills and so i've kind of marveled at that and i i wonder about oh i have a couple of questions about that you know like, how did you discover that you needed to, or that you needed to make that transition? And I guess a lot of people, when they think of activism, because if someone, if someone Googles Rachel Cargill, the one word under your name is activist. I don't even know if you actually relate to that word in that way. But people don't associate softness, vulnerability, personal story with that work and I wonder if you could speak to that yeah um thank you for reflecting that to me that means a lot and I I definitely do associate myself to the word activist and 
one of the joys of my work in my life right now are finding all the ways that I can do that. Mm-hmm. It still feels true to me to be a person who um, is showing up and particularly now with my positionality, offering my resources, offering my uh, platform, uh, finding ways to personally uh, be more involved and vocal at local levels that, mm-hmm. you know, are, are more relatable to my hometown. Yeah. outside of how I was doing things um, more nationally or globally. Um, these are all of the ways that I have challenged myself and accepted a bit of a calling to do the same work I was doing in the way that I was doing it online in 2017, 18, 19. And the creative spirit in me loves the opportunity to get creative and find new ways to still show up for Black women, find new ways mm-hmm. to still demand equity, find new ways to uh, still write about this intersection of race and womanhood. And I feel incredibly moved when I am able to do that through art writing. I feel incredibly moved when I'm able to do that through um, my foundation. I feel yeah. incredibly moved when I'm able to do that through uh, in-person gatherings. Mm-hmm. When I'm able to do that through sharing my story, through giving language to mm-hmm. hard things for people to discuss, um, even through my vulnerability, which I feel is my real work. Yeah. My, I think my truest work is my vulnerability. And um, I recently had a mushroom trip. <laughs> Was it your first one? <laughs> it was my first mushroom trip okay. Let's get in Jamaica. <laughs> and... During that mushroom trip, I really felt affirmed and guided in some of the pieces that I had, some of the like pieces and materials that I felt like I had like grasped, but I wasn't sure how to uh, like put them all together. And coming out of that experience, it felt like I was getting incredibly clear direction that my work in this lifetime is healing. Like that's all I have to do. Like that's all I have to do is be willing to show up to it, be willing to work through it, be willing to uh, dive into it, to go through the dark, to go through the Mm. hazy. And as long as I actually do the work and I do it out loud, I will be fulfilling my destiny in this lifetime. Yeah. And so, and even you, even just last night, I had another like, trippy moment yeah. i'm i'm staying at a place over by the water and it's been really nourishing to me and i had just this uh you know just this thing spoken to me that there's no right way to do any of this yeah just have fun <laughs> be diligent mm-hmm. and be honest yeah and as long as you do that and you stick to this this uh you know, decree that we have given you to heal, we will take care of you. We will make sure you're in the right spaces. We will make sure you know the right people. We will make sure you have the right connections. And that has given me sort of like a, it it has really seeded me in this space. Mm -hmm. And I can continue to tap back into like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I think that that has shown up in my work in the way that you were asking. Um, And that vulnerability that it's, it's not, I don't think it's a, you know, it's not even a virtue. It's just what my work is. My yeah. work is to 
learn out loud, to heal out loud, mm-hmm. and to like continue to give language to these experiences so people can hold that and use it in their own context for how they want. I'd love to hear about how your healing journey took you to a place to found the Loveland Foundation um, and why you feel that that work is so important. Well, the Loveland Foundation was the first thing I started. (laughs) Like I was doing education work online um, and in the building of that audience, that community of people who were looking to learn from me is how the Loveland Foundation started. I had gone to a therapy session of my own and I was very moved by the experience. And I said, probably one of those things we all say when we have a good experience, like I wish everyone could experience this. And for me, the priorities of everyone's in my head is black women. And Mm -hmm. so I, I really thought about it and the truth of when black women heal, that heals you know, family lines, households, communities, neighborhoods, organizations, because Black women are usually the foundation of each of those. Mm -hmm. So I felt like there could be a very expansive impact by focusing on Black women. And so when I started the organization, it was really exciting because we couldn't really find anything like what I was thinking I wanted to happen. So we had to create some things of our own, which created this really beautiful system that allows us to offer um, free therapy to Black women and girls. Um, we've we've offered over 180,000 hours of therapy since we started. And one of my favorite things about the foundation is that it's like a trifecta for me in the way that I get to do this work that's meaningful to me. Black women, girls, and gender non-binary people are getting the mental health care that they need and they are being um if they need it we can we give them you know some options of black therapists that they could be working with and most of them work with black therapists so Mm -hmm. that means i'm putting money into the pockets of these black therapists who are growing in their careers Mm -hmm. and to date we've paid out over four million dollars to these therapists wow. who are serving our clients. That's and so we always say it's free therapy for the clients, but the ther- it's not free for anyone. It's getting paid to right, exactly. the therapist. Yeah. And so it's just a really beautiful little ecosystem we've been able to grow. And, you know, talking about the foundation in a previous version of me would have really centered in the creation of it and that story I just told you, which has been yeah. a really exciting um Part of it, I I ended up doing a birthday fundraiser to start it. The very first thing was a birthday fundraiser. And I think I raised like 10K in 24 hours. And it really uh, made clear how willing people were to invest in it. Um, and yeah, it's been three years now. And we've grown so much. And I think what the foundation is meaning for me now is one, it it keeps me a pulse on my work. It's a constant reminder for me, like it's a gentle pulse reminder of the work that I do. You know, mm-hmm. it's really moving things through the world. This this healing for Black women and girls, uh, this development of the careers of the therapists, um, and I think that's like a beautiful pulse that I feel throughout my work. Um, and also, it's been really beautiful to be innovative in the space of philanthropy because it's such a corrupted industry. Yeah. Um, and so 
it's another space to like dig in and say what else is possible. Mm -hmm. Um, Asking for a friend for me. Um, (laughs) How important do you think it is that people of color have therapists of color? Yeah. Efficiency is one of the biggest reasons for me. It's not cheap to get access to therapy. People are paying up to, you know, in Manhattan, you could be paying $250 an hour Mm -hmm. to be working with the therapist. And even on the lower end, $80 an hour Mm -hmm. every week for a family that is, you know, that can barely afford groceries each week is, it's not a small thing to be spending your money for an hour of time with people. And I think for any identity group, but particularly for people of color who are stepping in and working with a therapist who isn't of color, who isn't black and who doesn't understand their experience, we are spending half of our time trying to explain what we mean, trying to code switch, trying to give the details. But when I tell my black therapist that I'm heading to family dinner for Thanksgiving, she knows what the she knows what the scene is she knows what to expect she knows what would be out of place so i don't have to describe all of that while also trying to work through whatever the issue is that i'm trying to work Mm -hmm. through so i think efficiency is number one how we're spending our money and how we're making sure that they're having really connected experiences and not having to explain themselves over and over again um and also you know the foundation has really tuned me into the economy of mental health care mm-hmm. and how it's really hard to be about black therapists. There are very few of them. Um, and I think that the importance that, uh, that connection of who we're putting our money, whose pockets we're putting our money in, um, that's starting to mean more and more to me too. Yeah. And even just understanding like how structural issues impact us it can that's be really a, difficult for that's a big one right for a there. white therapist to, like even to just, understand even that. just the literature on how systems affect our mental health is kind of scarce yeah and you know one thing that really i went to a conference a few years ago in pittsburgh it was all about the well-being of black girls mm-hmm. and pittsburgh and cleveland those uh, midwestern cities have been listed as the worst place for a black girl to live mm. and so they were having this conference um and one of the sessions that I sat in was a woman, a graduate student who was looking at um, African-American English, Avonics, whatever the most appropriate <laughs> current term is. Sure. Um, and and uh, she was fighting to make it uh, a language that could be um, translated in yes. court systems because oh. the people who were writing the wow. notes weren't understanding what she meant because of Ebonics. And Mm -hmm. it makes me, it it makes me really think about how that shows up in the therapy sessions too. Mm -hmm. And the, the, um, the example that she gave was that a girl was speaking, um, she was speaking to how he would travel in that neighborhood often. Mm -hmm. And she said, he'd be going to the whatever. And the person who's typing the notes in court said he went but when she said he be, right. that means That's he goes often. Means. It's yes, something that exactly. he does often, which would change the situation to say he should have been familiar in that neighborhood. He yes. shouldn't have been attacked as opposed yes. to he just went once. So he was seen as a stranger. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So even language gives so much important context <clears throat> yeah. for what it is we're trying to express and explain. And I think that's particularly vital in a therapy. 
in a therapy space. Yeah. Um, could you tell us more about what you're doing in LA right now? Yeah, I'm doing, I'm um, an artist in residence for um, a writer's colony out here um, with Story 27. And it's been wonderful. I, I have, I'm working on um, a new manuscript and... Um, for book two. Yes, kind of, <laughs> kind of. I can't say much, okay. but you'll see, okay. you'll know. Gotcha. <laughs> we'll see what it happens, we'll know. Yes, yes. And so, yeah, it's my, it's my first residency. And one of the things that is really in the forefront of my life right now is crafts. Yeah. The conversation of crafts. Um, and I've been taking that literally and figuratively, mm -hmm. you know, thinking of the craft of my writing, even the craft of being a friend, the craft of being a lover, the craft mm -hmm. of uh, being a colleague, really mm -hmm. thinking how am I showing up to spaces and how can I practice being the version of that thing that I want to be? Um, and taking it quite literally, I've been doing things that speak to craft. I was in Maine, right before I came to LA, I was in Maine and I was at a two week ceramics course. Oh, wow. And like really getting my hands dirty in the details of like hand building and then coming here to LA and working on uh, the book and seeing what does it mean to be an artist in residence, to be working on something, to be yeah. focused, to be in community with the spaces that have invited you. Um, yeah. That's amazing. I would love if you have any advice for our listeners of who who maybe feel like they're in sort of an emotional state that you kind of described being in earlier in your life in that like um very like fiery like uh heated or angry space um if that's something that they are looking to let go of what would be one thing that might be able to aid them on their journey. Well, I think the truth of seasons, the the reality mm. of seasons, and that you know that one thing doesn't last forever. And mm. often the only way to get, you know, through something is to go through it. Mm -hmm. And so remembering that um, this is something to go through because the feeling of anger and the wanting to let it go means that you're, you're you know, you're looking for the exit. You're looking mm. for where the light is. Mm -hmm. So I believe if you're looking for it, you will find it. So like keep looking and keep pushing and keep doing that because nothing lasts forever. And I think that the space of anger is not somewhere to not want to be. If you're there, it's because there's some things that you need to work mm -hmm. through. So I don't mm -hmm. think it's anything to feel shamed about. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it's anything to feel wrong about and really sit with it and say, wow, I'm in this space of anger. Where is it coming from? Where was the fire started? Mm -hmm. Um, how am I still stoking the flame? Do I need to still stoke it? How is really one of the biggest questions that I had to ask myself was, and one of the kindest questions I asked myself, how did this fire serve me? It has served mm -hmm. me. It yeah. has served. Like I, I, I don't have any yeah. reason to hate it Absolutely. or to fight it. It has served me. This yeah. is some of the good that this fire has done in the world. Yeah. And it also is a very Western fear of fire. <laughs> Most indigenous cultures are in deep relationship with fire. Yeah. And so really getting in relationship with the fire, with the anger, mm -hmm. with the things that you're addressing in that emotion um, and, and just be dancing with it, being in relationship with it, like figuring it out because it's not something that is happening to you. It's a tool that you're using in the world right now. And yes. when you really get a hold of it as a tool, 
um, it makes me think of like a fireman's hose, like going all over. But as uh-huh. soon as you're really able to get a hold of it, you can do so much good, either with the anger itself mm. or with your knowledge of the truth of the anger. And then you right. can move through it in different That's great. Yeah. Rachel, you seem like you have a calm nervous system. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get one of those. If someone were to say like, what's Rachel Cargo like? It'd be like a cubeless cloud. Um, that's the biggest compliment because I can't tell you how much it's not. No? <laughs> I think, well, I should say, I can't tell you how much it hasn't been in the past and how much yeah. true work I have to put in yeah. to... Um, to just remembering that I'm okay throughout mm. the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what are what are you doing to create that sense of well-being? I cry a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I like release. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually the, that's the podcast. I cry a lot. <laughs> that's what I came here to tell everyone. <laughs> be a very crying. short episode, guys. <laughs> I think that I really give myself space to feel my feelings a lot of the stress in our body a lot of the stress in our psyche is like trying to repress things trying to repress truth Mm. when honestly often the truth isn't as bad as we're making it in our Mm. head you know like me rush i was late to this podcast and as this is a perfect example as i was getting myself like all worked up about being late in my like practice of allowing myself to have mm-hmm. a calm nervous system, I was like, we are friends. Right. If it was an emergency, there's no reason why he wouldn't tell me that like, oh, by the way, we have a hard out X, Y, Z. Right. Exactly. Also, like, how did I react when people were late? Mm-hmm. And I'm not the kindest person in the world. There's other mm-hmm. kind people who are open to someone being a bit behind because right. of traffic. Exactly. It's a lot of self-talk. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think a lot of it is self-talk and reminding myself um, of what is true and what is rational because yeah. our our minds spiral into what might be true and yes. what might be, you know, XYZ. But mm-hmm. I, I try to pull myself into what it what do I know to be true? And yes. and that's often so much better than what my mind has. It's such a good that question alone is such a good question for people who are struggling like with ruminating and mm-hmm. um negative self-talk and you know anxiety yeah. and stuff like what do what what are the facts here yeah, <laughs> yeah. and who, one of the big things especially after since my mom passed i've been so aware of kind of like what is my voice and what is her voice mm-hmm. and not even her voice like some spiritual like my mother speaking to me right yeah. now but like what has been said to me so much as a child that I understand it to yes. be a voice in my head, yeah. but it doesn't even have to be true for me. Mm-hmm. And and that has been something that my therapist has like asked me in the middle of a session. She'll be like, Rachel, whose voice is saying that? Like, that's nothing you would ever say. That's wow. nothing you would ever do. And I'd be like, oh yeah, that's mom's thing. And I can set it down. Mm-hmm. And so that has been a tool moving through the world now. Like if I am, you know, what's a good example? You know, my mom used to be so self-conscious about her makeup and blah 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 so she'll be in the mirror and she'll be fixing and primping and um sometimes I'll do that even though I when I tell you I would be happy with three outfits and two makeups like I will be okay (laughs) so I'm just not the type to primp in the Mm -hmm. mirror and sometimes I'll catch myself 
stressing. And I was like, wow, Rachel, that's not even your stress. Like, like you don't even right, do that. So right. like set it down and go ahead and head out the door. Mm-hmm. Wow. Examples like that, that type of self-talk and that type of like, you know, intentional self-awareness has yeah. been really meaningful. Yeah. Well, we are just about out of time. So I have my standard question for the, for the end. And that is what keeps you showing up for the work? <sighs> I want to hear what I said last time. Did you ask me that last time? Yeah, you want to hear it? Yes, I am very interested. (laughs) What keeps me going is knowing that this is my purpose and knowing that I continue to get the messages from Black women who say, you've made me feel seen. You've made me feel heard. You've given me language to combat the things that I'm experiencing in various spaces. Um, Knowing that me existing in my power and in my purpose is um, assisting other Black women in doing the same, that's enough for me. And also recognizing that, you know, if we can, this work has been done over and over again. I, I always share the story about I was in Brooklyn walking down the sidewalk and this woman was selling books and I picked up a book called 19th Century Black Women in America. And it was a collection of lectures done by Black women on anti-racism work from the 19th century. From reading that and studying that and listening to these women, it made me think like, oh, oh, okay, it's just my turn. And so recognizing that it's my turn and so I'm going to, to do it fully I don't necessarily have any huge hope that anything's going to change in my generation or maybe even the next generation. It could, it might not, but I have to, I have to take my turn. Yes, I agree with what I I said. And really speaking to that language of it's my turn, like, you know, I've met so many more authors and so many more activists and just so many more black women who are doing, who are in their lane, who are doing their work. Um, who are figuring themselves out mm-hmm. and figuring out how they can serve and figuring out how they can show up and um, recognizing that so many people have done it before us. It's just our turn to get in and do the work. And yeah. I feel honored to exist in these spaces. I feel called to exist in these spaces. And um, yeah, like younger me said, it's it's my turn. And still my turn to do my work in the ways that I'm doing it now Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm really yeah I feel very grounded in that well thank you so much for being here Rachel yeah thanks for coming back to my little podcast see you in the next uh four years (laughs) (laughs) I can't same time same place (laughs) three years from now we'll be knocking on somebody's door someone yeah so uh we recorded a podcast here three years ago (laughs) we had it and it's our turn to do it again can you just scooch a little bit (laughs) thank you so much for having us and thank you all for listening again to the hope and heart those Hope and Heart Pills podcast. For some reason, I thought I said it wrong. <laughs> you know the name of your show. It came out too easy. You're like, it did. That, was like, that, guess, that, that could be it. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you all for listening again. You'll hear from us next week. Bye. Thanks for choosing to listen today. You can catch up with our hosts online. Trish's is at Trish's Music. That's spelled T-R-I-S-H-E-S Music on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Andre is at the Andre Henry on Instagram and TikTok and at Andre Henry on Twitter. Catch the songs you heard today and more of their music on Spotify. 
If you'd like to support what we're doing here and see the video of Andre and Trisha's conversation, you can join the Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Andre Henry. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.